0: Welcome to Private Banking Strategies Podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks, your secret weapon to protect your assets and never have to start over financially again. Vance and Seth help high-net-worth individuals, families, business owners, and investors structure an asset-protected, tax-free fortress for their families. Learn how to keep what you earn and use the velocity of money to create your own private banking system. Join us on this journey as we explore the secret strategies of the rich and political elite and help you take total control of your financial security. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to Private Banking Strategies with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. Gentlemen, how are you guys? Doing great. We're doing absolutely great. Fantastic. I know that we've got an interesting topic today, and it's actually one that I haven't through our entire time together. I don't think I've actually thought of this question because I know how the system works. I know what it's based off of as far as you guys have described it beautifully in previous podcasts, how the uh, private banking strategies work and what it's built off of, which is basically insurance, correct? Yep. And then so the question comes up and this is what you're covering today. What if I'm uninsurable? What if I am uninsurable? How does it work for me? So I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say.
2: Well, I guess I'll start things off and uh, Seth will correct me if I uh, say something wrong here and um, maybe take a deeper dive as we go along here. One of the common questions we get or. It's a shocking bit of news for people when they fall in love with the strategy, the lights come on, and we apply for these banking contracts only to find out that health-wise, they don't qualify and they are uninsurable. Mm -hmm. And years ago, I was actually taught this very story, one of the first stories that Nelson taught me was this story, and tied back into the beginning of the book, it's all about how we think and the use of our imagination. And so here we have, uh, let's paint a scenario here, a 50-year-old father, you know, a husband, and because of his work, which is in uh, um, Dangerous Things, and some health issues, he is totally uninsurable. So he's learned about the strategy. Um, he's done everything. He loves it. They want to do it, but he's found out that he is uninsurable. So, Seth, tell us, you know, what are some of the first uh, things that we might do to an, an individual who is in this situation they're a family person they've got kids and everything what's the first thing we tell them well the good thing about using
3: private banking strategies as for the value and benefits that that we've presented uh, and w- what really draws people to it is the banking aspect of it eric we're not solving for a death benefit and in life insurance so the fact that someone is uninsurable becomes inconsequential if you can uh, find other lives to insure. So if you have other family members, uh, wife, children, you're able to insure those people's lives and practice the banking system where you get all of the seven pillars that we've talked about uh, so many times on the podcast, with asset protection and financial privacy and and legacy wealth transfer without taxation—you get all those things when you have an insurable interest. So mm. the key word there and the key phrase is a legal term of art, and it's it's having a le- a, a legal insurable interest in the life that you're insuring. And uh, advances, you know, we don't have to find a blood relation to do to do that. You can do that through business relationships.
2: Right. So, Eric, let me bounce this off you. You're this father. All of a sudden, you found out you cannot be insured, and you want to adopt this thing. You want to take this and put money into it and create uh, passive income later on. How would you feel, How will you feel when you find out that instead of going to plan A, we can go with plan B and you can still accomplish everything?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'd be super excited we can do it. My first inkling would be to look to my wife, right? I mean, if it can't insure me, can we insure my wife? Okay. I'm sure there's other ideas
2: as well. And so now what we've just triggered, and Eric just proved it to us, the brain engages. It starts thinking, and it starts solving, you know, the uh, the question or uh, the problem, right? Every once in a while, it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, this is what this strategy and what we're trying to do here. So he and his wife agree that this strategy, they're going to be far better off. Um, further in Nelson Nash's book, He does some just some important information, and it's clear back towards the end of the book. And I'm turning to it right now since I've got a book. And it says points to consider. There are only two sources of income: people that work and money at work. The sad thing in life today, especially in America, is people have never discovered money at work. Everyone thinks that people we have to go to work and be at work But those who discover that passive income or putting money to work that makes them income no matter what uh, They're much better off And a lot of people feel like well. I can't afford that. I can't do this. I can't do that uh, when they can uh, because it's again all about how we think so the reason I'm throwing that in there right now is because this scenario right here solves that line of thinking. He wants a retirement um, in essence, uh, you know, and I think Seth and I are pretty much agreeing that we're going to start throwing out the word retirement and going into passive income because retirement in America is pretty much a fallacy. It's just a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way things are going, we doubt the economic situation that is going to be there, like maybe people are planning on. Anyway, let's keep going here. So they agree that they want to set aside, they want to put into this strategy $20,000 a year. And instead of putting it on the wife, they're going to put it on the daughter. And at that time, her name is Jill, we'll say she's um, 20 years old, Um, 23 years old, excuse me. And so they can do that because they have an insurable interest in here. So she takes the uh, life insurance exam and she qualifies fine. And so uh, they start putting... $20,000 $20,000 into the this banking-type contract. The contract is made up of different components. We don't need to go into that because we've already done that in other podcasts. So he does that for 20 years. Now, this guy's 50 years old. I think I said that right at the beginning. He puts $20,000 in every year for 20 years, and he stops. Uh, the contract is... Got some life insurance that's paid up at age 65. So the premiums are paid until age 65. But he put money in this thing all the way until he is 70 because the policy is not on him, right? Yeah. So when you, I want you to clarify that 65.
1: You said it's it's paid up at that point, but not when he's sixty five, or or is it
2: paid up when he's sixty five? Aha. Okay, let's let's find that out, because what we're going to see here is that this is totally going to la- act like a life insurance policy on him. Really? Uh huh. Okay. So here's here's the situation. So he's going to put twenty thousand dollars in here. He's going to let the insurance company manage it. Now I've been a money manager all my adult career you know life managing assets been very good at it but i am not as good as those people in you know employed by the life insurance carriers outside the life insurance carriers i could pretty much stand on my own our company uh, you know could fight with the best of them but the insurance companies just they've had an art into the management of assets for hundreds of years conservatively you know they don't have to take all kinds of risks to get what they've got so he left them manage the money in there and then at age 70 he took out twenty eight thousand five hundred dollars every year from that point on That was the passive income that he wanted to create. That was going to replace uh, income for him. So when he he reached age 70, he started taking out. Now, he did that a very special way. Remember, for the first 20 years, he put $20,000 in every year. And for 15 years, he took out $20,500. And he surrendered that as base he took that from the base of the policy and he did not have to pay any tax on it at the end of 15 years he now has all of his money back if you do the math and everything from what he put in to Mm -hmm. uh, what he uh, has taken out now now he is age 85 And this father dies at age 85. If he lived longer, he could continue to pull out $28,500 until he does die. But at age 85, let me share a few things that happen. There is, when he dies, $1.110 million dollars. In cash value in his policy left and who's the policy on here Seth the daughter Jill okay now he put the money in he got to pull the money out and he's leaving to his wife and daughter over a million dollars doesn't that sound like a life insurance policy to me I mean to you guys
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah, but it's still in play. It's not like he's he's leaving the policy because it's on her. He's leaving the policy to her and, and his wife, but it's not like a policy that was on him that paid out to them, right? It's the policy is still
2: active. So here's the discovery I, I, I want us to share. I think this might even be better than having the policy on him. Oh, yeah. Because, right? because it continues now, to grow with her. Yeah. So let's let, let's follow this along. Okay. So she's now 57 years old, right? 15 years, you know, years later, or or excuse me, 20, 35 years later, she's 57 years old when he dies. Mm -hmm. She decides that she doesn't want to manage it. So she's going to leave it with the insurance carriers to manage for the rest of her life. Okay, and she decides she's never going to pay any more premium to it, you know, because they quit that after the first 20 years. There's not any more money going in there, but these contracts uh, create ownership with the life insurance carrier, and they have minimum guarantee growth. But in addition to that, they also have profits, which are dividends, and they can increase substantially so in this case what she decides to do is wait until she is age 70 and then at age 70 now remember all the basis of the um policy was withdrawn by dad so the rest of it is nothing but would be profit and normally, profits would be taxable, wouldn't they? hmm But in this situation, she doesn't surrender the cash value and take it. She borrows against it. And in her situation, she can borrow up to $150,000 every year for the rest of her life.
4: Do you see yourself in that story? Do you feel like you are generating a lot of revenue but are not moving forward as fast as you would like? Are you ready for help? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com.
2: So how can you make that? How? Let's go back and, and maybe take a look at other alternatives, uh, 401ks or retirement programs, old pensions, uh, things like that. What would it take, <laughs> you know, to put an amount of money in over a period of years, be able to pull all that money back out tax-free, and then leave – what another two and a half, three times that amount to your heirs? Let them use that money. Pull out another ten times that, and be able to do that tax-free. If she borrows the money from the policy, there's not a. It does not trigger a taxable event. And so, let's say she does that until she's ninety. Women live a little bit longer than than men on on the norm. Uh, she she will have withdrawn over three point, you know three million dollars three million one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Well, wow. when she dies at say at, at age ninety, she's taken all that money out. Guess how much she's leaving to the younger generation? Another two point eight excuse me, 2.3, almost $2.4 million to carry on this legacy. Now, Seth, have we talked anything about banking?
3: No, no, it's just strictly straight on the terms of the policy.
2: So in this podcast, and help me out here, uh, identify some uh, additional points, you two. We have a contract here that, switches us or allows us to go from working to passive income, to money working for us in an environment that will be taxed advantaged throughout our lifetime. And I think even today is probably more lucrative. The chances of, of this happening is ironclad versus risking it in the market or in business or even in real estate or anything else but i think that uh being able to pass on the 2.3 to 2.4 million dollars to the next generation if we've taught them the same thing then her kids could put it on their kids they could live off that income And go forward. Yeah. I've got a question though, because you
1: said something back there. So I I know that when the father passed, um, it was like $1.1 million to to the daughter. Now she waited 23, 24 years, whatever it was before she started drawing money from the policy. And and you said that she was borrowing the $150,000 a year. She did that for 20 years, right? So you've got the, you know, 3.15 3.15 million that she has drawn off the policy for for 20 years and she's borrowed it that's why there's no taxable event how does that get paid back or how is it possible that at 90 when she dies she's delivering 2.3 million to her heirs if she's borrowed this money how does that get paid
2: Eric you that question is absolutely right on point this is exactly what I think a lot of people are going to say. Okay, well, guys, they pulled a lot of money out. Since mm-hmm. it's borrowed, it's got to be paid back. Remember, we never borrow the cash value from our policies. We always, since we're owners, we borrow the cash reserves of the life insurance company. Those, that money's still in the policy. When she dies, The outstanding loan is paid off from the cash value in her policy, and the remainder, $2.4 million, goes to her beneficiaries. Okay, so if I'm doing my
1: math right, then you're saying that she, by the time she was 90 and she had pulled out 3.1 or whatever, you're talking the policy was, the value was around $5.5 at that point. Absolutely, exactly. You got it. Wow, that's amazing.
3: And one okay. of the things that I, I think is important, we're throwing a lot of numbers around here, and uh, the the nature of the wealth curve is uh, illustrated in what Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. It's compounding interest, the compounding nature of uh, money. Uh, year after year in a tax-free environment. And we have a little excerpt in our book that we offer folks that helps spot some of these issues. And Vance and I have talked about this before on prior podcasts. A penny uh, compounded uh, every day for a month by by one X. I mean, by a, like a penny compounded to two to four to six. At the end of those 30 days, you're at five million plus. And in total uh, value. And uh, he and I chuckled because the first time he tasked me with that exercise, I'm doing it in my head. And about day 15, I said, there's no way it's going to make $5 million. And he said, just keep doing the math. And so I did. And by about 24 or 25th day, I realized it is going to make 5 million. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is the power of compounding interest within these uh, well-managed uh, life insurance contracts and policies. She's really doing nothing. She's just letting that money compound and grow year after year to the extent that, I mean, we're talking about the dad starts when he's 50, gives it 20 years, and and then she's giving it uh, another from 57 to 70 before she pulls anything down, you're 33 years. Then add another 20 years, and you're over 50 years of total compounding interest from that uh, initial principle Uh, so that's that's something that people have to understand and actually have a light bulb come on like i did to the real value in compounding interest and those dividends that are being paid into that policy they help create that acceleration and if you look at this on a graph the initial years are you know a slow steady climb kind of like up a up a uh, something you could walk up slowly. And then when you start to get further on in years, it starts to go up at a much more parabolic rate where you'd be rock climbing with ropes instead of walking up the side of a manageable
2: hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, folks, What? Uh, well, there's a couple of, of takeaways here. First of all, all of these numbers, you can go in and completely read this in Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and you start on page 82. Uh, the, the graphs are there, the contracts there, how we got to all of those numbers, it's all there, okay? But let's not overlook that the perpetual banking or the perpetual motion how has started, it doesn't have to end. Okay, He started with nothing. So, one full generation, one family, when the child finally dies, there's now $2.3 million to pass down to the heirs. If we don't give that out in inheritance, if we put that back into contracts on grandkids' lives, the older generation of those grandkids could then continue – uh, you know the the math would have to be redone of course, and I'm not sure what it would be there would be a an amount of passive income immediately for that older generation for like her kids uh, her kids by the time she's ninety are probably grandma you know grandparents and when she gets done with it, it can be picked up and it could multiply if if they start doing banking and start putting the profits of 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 lending money in the interest uh into these contracts it would become exponential this is only one contract on one life never doing anything except letting the insurance company manage it so seth i think you hit it on the on the head that uh so much can be accomplished here how hard did this family have to work to get this passive income they didn't work hard at all in fact
3: we didn't even talk about getting multiple touches on their money and as they're taking um uh, you know, draws down, actually putting that into other investments, which created a return on that investment, and they cycle through the bank. And if you were to analyze that, their, their wealth curve would even be larger and, and faster. So this is simply just looking at set it and forget it type strategy and actu- actually consuming all of the draws. The father consuming the draws that he takes when he turns seventy of twenty eight thousand five hundred in passive income, no tax on that a year, and then uh, the same with the daughter Jill taking one hundred and fifty thousand a year, um, tax free, and not putting that to use, just effectively eating it, and Mm -hmm. and so if they actually integrate the principles that we teach, they're going to have known how to get multiple touches on the same dollar, get a return on that uh, money that they're pulling out and drawing down on, and the the wealth curve just kind of blows your mind. And so we're throwing a lot at, at folks, throwing a lot at the, the audience with this. And you have to understand compounding nature. You have to understand multiple touches on the same dollar to really grasp the, the, these concepts. Um, but it actually
2: is stunning um, when you get a hold of it. And this is why nelson puts this uh, in his book and this is why we're talking about it now it's it's the use of brain power and being able to get something working for you everybody lives their life day in and day out they go in they work hard they put up with all kinds of harassment taxes and everything else and then they just spend the money and they're not any better off you know uh, tomorrow than they were today many of them uh, or worse off. So I want to leapfrog. I don't know if that's the right word, but I want to take this thought and I want to move uh, in our next uh, podcast. It may take uh, one or two more podcasts, but I want to go in and, and think and challenge some of the things that we normally do in life, the way we we perceive life should be with this banking strategy, this these contracts. So I think one of the uh, podcasts we're going to do is um, – and Nelson also has this in his book, so I want to share this, and I want us to develop the uh, um, concept of going to college. Um, hmm. Here's a question for you, Eric. Did your parents want you to go to college? Yeah, they did. My parents wanted me to go to college. Seth? Yeah.
3: Um, my my parents strongly influenced me to get a college degree and go on to law school.
2: Okay. And I did that with my kids. And I put three of my four kids through college. I ended up paying four tuitions with three of my kids. Two, one took two tuitions at the same time, if you can believe that. The third one... Or my oldest one, I, st- I still paid his tuition, but he went to a trade school. And here's why I want to do this analogous, because this is true in my life. And again, this will be for another podcast, but it goes along with this thinking. What is the purpose of a college degree? Most of the time, at least when I was growing up, I mean, it was the the drive. You go to college, you learn how to think and solve problems. That's not the case today. Today, it's getting certified. Mm -hmm. Get that diploma, get certified. And they are, I'll put out there to everybody, you can't get a better job just because you have a a college uh, degree now. Because the uh, employers and the industries know that these people aren't coming out as thinkers and problem solvers. They just have the degree. So what would happen? you know uh, let's let's kind of give the title maybe for the next one uh, um, if we didn't go to college, who maybe could end up with the most money, start using that money into a, one of these contracts versus um, spending the money on college even even if you went into medical school
1: hmm. interesting uh, All right
2: so that's our next podcast
1: Yeah okay. well gentlemen, anything else for today's podcast that we need to close out with
2: uh, Seth just tell them how you know if they want to find out more about us, uh, how they get a hold of us, Sure. Well, there's a lot of information
3: in this podcast, and this is getting more granular than, than we get sometimes. But uh, you can find a ton of valuable resources on our website at privatebankingstrategies.com. That's privatebankingstrategies.com. And there when you visit the website, we're going to, uh, as a gift, you for visiting the website we give you a, a free book and that either comes in a written form or an audio form and it's entitled what the banks don't want you to know what they don't want you to know and we in that book we begin to peel back some of the layers of why private banking is so important for folks and and why so many people that don't know about it uh, become so enthralled uh, with the values and benefits of it. So we've got a lot of podcasts that we've done, Eric, together. As you mm-hmm. know, we've got uh, valuable email content that we send to our audience. We've got all sorts of other uh, content that helps educate and and help people understand what we're doing. All right. Well, Vance, Seth, thank you so
1: much. This was a great podcast. Those numbers are staggering. I hope folks uh, take a look at that and and get into those resources. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. You bet. And our last thank you, of course, goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Private Banking Strategies podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth X. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Vance and Seth come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Private Banking Strategies, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.
4: Did that story feel like it was about you? Do you feel you should be making more progress toward your financial goals? Do you feel stuck? Let us help you get unstuck. Are you ready to take action and get your own private bank? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com.
0: Thank you for listening to the Private Banking Strategies Podcast.